Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty. Jesse Parker Humphreys and a very special guest joining us, Mark Parsons, former Chelsea, Netherlands, and a coach who has coached many teams in the NWSL. Mark, how are you doing? Doing all right, doing better now in the room with you guys, ready to talk some football. Yeah, um, you excited? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you on the first coach. Oh no, we have had, we had Carla on during the World yeah, Cup. Respect Carla. Sorry, Ward, respect please. Carla. Ward. No, we had Carla on during the World Cup, but that feels different because it's different I think having a it's coach. nice to be in real life as well true we had Carla on Zoom but I think it's different obviously you're you're out of a job at the moment but but it's different having someone I think who's like live coach but out of season I think when you get a coach mid-season it's like it's a slightly different pressure because they do have to sort of watch what they say but I feel like because you aren't attached to a club right now will we get the freshest realest Mark Parsons has ever been yeah, maybe we'll see. See how see what you what you guys come up with. Uh, it's an interesting position for me because normally ten eleven years, you lot are talking and breaking down everything about the team or the players that I'm working with and what I have or haven't done. Sitting here after watching a lot of football the last few months, I'm looking forward to share perspective of a lot in the WSL, whether it's the teams or players. Yeah, but anything Champions League, national teams. There's been a lot going on and. 2024 has had a fast kickoff. We've mm. had big games in WSL. Champions League's interesting. Conti Cup last night was absolute chaos. Conti Cup's always fun. chaos. It's one of the best competition. Yeah. I was going to ask Mark, have you ever fielded an ineligible player competition? <laughs> Straight. See, I told you before we started, I was worried about these two. I feel pretty safe with you. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. It's, but have uh, you though? Have you ever No, said- this is... Um, yeah, it can't happen. It, I don't know how, how, and let's, I think f- to have an opinion before you understand the, the details yeah. is tough, but this can't happen. And at the end of the day, they'll probably be finger pointing if it has been a mistake and someone shouldn't have played, like we all know, um, at the end of the day, someone has to be accountable for that decision. And um, yeah, it's tough. And the, yeah, of course. It actually feels a bit like NWSL. This is what happens. The carnage doesn't ever, the drama doesn't impact just one player or team. The implications now for other potential mm. teams because of what their results were last night as well. Yeah, I don't know. 2024, we're giving <laughs> women's football, there's always great football, great athletes, great quality, and there's always a few storylines. <laughs> there's always drama. Oh, storylines was my word. <laughs> <laughs> but that the thing is, is that um, like there is, I don't know what it is about the Conti Cup that always has the drama. It's like that competition wants to soak up all the chaos. And last night it wasn't just the stuff about Aston Villa and the and Noel Maritz playing against Sunderland, but 
yes, it's the implications for Manchester United because they could potentially not go through as one of the strongest runner-ups. They lose in a derby to Manchester City, so that's more painful. That's sore. Birmingham beat West Ham. West Ham are going to get out of their group anyway. London City Lionesses <laughs> top their group. Wow. Slander. Fart noise slander. If West from Ham Flatty. comes up at any point in the show, she's going to be ready Just to go. Ginny like, came up to me. Actually, you kicked me in the leg in the I toilet did. queue in I the did. press room at Chelsea last night. I'm like, West Ham are losing. <laughs> just wanted to spread the good unbelievable. word. Unbelievable. It's just, yeah. It's just, yeah. And Leah Williamson back with that crazy assist yeah, for, for Beth Mead. Like, there was a lot going on and that wasn't even anything to do with... Can I just say, though, on that goal? Yeah. I know everyone was talking about Williamson and obviously it's a good assist, but I feel like as a result, everyone's ignored how good the finish yeah. Oh, it's an amazing yeah. finish. It's, it's an amazing finish. Um, but yes, we've got a lot to talk about on today's show because we're going to get into the Chelsea Real Madrid game because we were at Stamford Bridge doing the live pod, which is amazing. Thank you to Chelsea and th- for hosting us. Thank you to Pepsi Max, our counter-press sponsor, but also sponsor of the live pod last night. Jilly was at Chelsea doing five live comms. Mark was watching it. And obviously, Mark, with your experience being at Chelsea, we're going to really get into the weeds of that game, but also wider Chelsea topics. Emma's successor, Emma's legacy, everything that's changed. And of course, we've got to talk about NWSL, WSL <laughs> versus because we've got someone who's been on sort of both sides of it. Um, and your experience at international level. There is so much to get into So let's get stuck into the chat after this. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. All right, let's start with the Champions League last night. Jesse, the first words, was it the first words, but um, big words from Emma Hayes in the post-match press conference that it was boring. And um, I do kind of, I do kind of agree with her. Like it wasn't a classic. I really thought Chelsea were going to put their foot down and I thought it was going to be like a 3-0 win because they should have won that game in Madrid. But we know that there were those Terrible with fishing decisions with the offside and the penalty, one of the penalties. So it was a slightly different scenario in the end. But I really thought Chelsea were just going to put their foot down. To be fair to Real Madrid, like they defended well for large parts of that game. But I think in those early stages, you were like Chelsea had a lot of the ball. The movement was good, especially on that left hand side. But nothing quite came of it. And then it was like, ooh, it's getting a little bit stodgy. It's getting a little bit nervy, and it wasn't as commanding as it probably should have been. Yeah, I think it it was boring and I think Chelsea have sort of this entire Champions League run played quite boring. Um, But to a certain extent, it's funny, I was reflecting on when Chelsea went out of the Champions League at the group stage because they're in the exact same position now as they were then. They'd, They'd 
got 11 points. And obviously, in that year, they managed to still come third in that final game. And in this year, they're top of the group with a game to go. And I think, to a certain extent, Hayes has talked a lot about the importance of control. And I didn't feel like Chelsea always had it in the game last night. But I think there's an element of this year more than any year. It's like win at any costs. And if it's win stodgy, it's that's it. It's on to the next. It's conserve your energy you know Chelsea have to go away to Brighton on Saturday then they're in Paris on Tuesday there's a lot of games coming up they've got big injuries and I think to that extent it's a bit like you just got to get it done in whatever way you can I feel like Chelsea have always been like that like the last I couple of seasons have, but I feel like there's I, and maybe this is like I'm just reading too much into it because it's it's natural I think to narrativize with Emma leaving but th- this sense that you know she's it is for now because there's nothing else to think about in the future. Whereas I think in the past, there's stuff that maybe I'd have looked at and been like, oh, she's thinking about X, she's thinking about Y. And I, she's, you know, she's still doing that to an extent. She talked a lot about giving Cuthbert and Charles the armband as, you know, like bringing new leaders through, bringing younger leaders through at the club. But I think as a result, it feels like everything is so focused on the next game, the next game, the next game. Mark, do you get a sense of that, being yeah, that having been in that yeah, position? No, first of all, well done to Chelsea. They had a job to get done. Sunday was a massive game against Man United. And they had a... The first half was a, uh, an incredible performance. Second half, um, Man United got back in. But you come off a big win against a big team at Stamford Bridge to roll into a, a, Wednesday, a Wednesday night against a team that's already got knocked out. Yeah, Emma. Emma's t- amazing. Just pure honesty. It's a boring game. Yeah, for me, why was it? Why was it not as entertaining? I, credit to Real Madrid. They did what Man United didn't do. So Real Rasso hasn't played a huge amount for Real Madrid. Not as much as I thought she would. She then gets the start last night, and then I'm curious: is that to hurt Chelsea, where where they've been hurt before on counter attacks? Thought that was going to be the idea. Actually, it was the opposite. Um, if you play against Chelsea, you've got to have if I could, you know, you've got to stop 20, 30 things. But the two first things, how are you going to press their back three once they get into their back three in build-up? And how are you going to deal with Wrighton? Was Lauren James earlier in the year coming off the left or Jesse Fleming on the left? How are you going to deal with Wrighton? Wrighton against Man United continued to receive the, the ball in that left 10 in the half space facing forward, which if she's going to get it, she can't be facing forward. It kept happening. And whether she's going forward or switching play, Real Madrid didn't allow that to happen. Rasso, I thought was going to be higher and could counterattack through through Buchanan and Carter. She followed um, Charles, which meant her, she was less available. And also the right six for Madrid, the right holding midfielder, did a good job. When Wrighton dropped into that space, she was there. That wasn't happening on Sunday. When the holding mid wasn't there, the centre-back or full-back was, was stepping in to, to make sure Wrighton played backwards. Yeah, boring game. Well done, Real Madrid. A lot of injuries. They made it hard. In the end, they almost got a point out of it. And why is that important if they if they are um, out of? Yeah, they can't they can't qualify. You you pick up a point at Stamford Bridge if you're that coach and you take that into the league because they've they just had a tough result against Barca. It would mean a lot. You you can't get playing well and winning is a, a, a very important feeling and a habit you've got to try and get to. Also, stop losing is is another one. And Madrid, you almost did that. Credit to them. Chelsea, tough game for them. They got it done. Had a few other chances, could have scored. Um, move on with no injuries to a big game on, uh, away at Brighton on Saturday. 
I also think it was a massive loss for them not having Olga Carmona because she's such a talismanic player. Yeah. Like her mm. energy, her finishing as well, her penalty taking prowess, as we know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's a big, big player for them. We need a bloody touch screen for today's episode. We're really getting into the tactics. I, know, I feel like I need my notebook so I can yeah. just write down everything. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Mark great take. Um, <laughs> Julie, what did you think? Um, having like you, you would you say? You're a Chelsea fan, yeah. You're always quite Chelsea-leaning, aren't you? I, I am Chelsea in Champions League. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not going to come out and be biased and say I'm Chelsea fan in the, in the WSL because okay. it could stop me from commentating on certain games. Flo, you know. So no, <laughs> We'll make that very clear. <laughs> I am in, in, in Champions League, though. I'm very much for I want the, the English teams, British teams, to do well in it because I think the better they do, the better it is for the WSL. Um, but I said it reminded me very much of when Chelsea played Paris in that first half. I mean... Paris had, uh, earlier this campaign. Yeah, yeah. earlier in the Champions League because Paris did have chances to score as well as Real Madrid. They had a few, um, but they did. Real Madrid always looked dangerous on the counter-attack um, and I just felt if they maybe had an extra little bit going forward, Chelsea could have been punished. But I did say live on air last night that I think it's one of those games where the performance, all right, you want to have a, a performance and a win, but the main thing is the win. And I think if Chelsea played like that the rest of the season, won four trophies, no one's going to be com complaining about that. And I think that's the hindsight. You've got coming off the back of a Christmas break, you've got a lot of games coming up. It's like that where it's like, let's get it done, do the business and we move on to the next one and, and try not to dwell too much on it until it comes to the point, obviously, when that doesn't happen, when there's no the performance ain't there and the result ain't there either. I think what's interesting as well is Hayes talked afterwards about how they'd looked and I think she said 80% of the goals Chelsea had conceded this season had come from, from transition moments. And she's obviously like really focused on giving Chelsea some more control in those areas so they're not getting done in that phase of play. And I think to that extent, and she said she felt like that was because they go and go and go too much and they, they try and attack too much and their rest defence isn't um, set for if they lose the ball. So I think to that extent as well, this is why like she wants to make games boring because Chelsea are giving up goals in games where they push forward too much. And I think to a certain extent, we obviously all laugh about her saying like it was boring and it was, but I kind of think that's what she wants. Yeah, I want to move away from talking about last night specifically to talk about the wider issues at play for this Chelsea team because you've written about it since Sam Kerr's absence is kind of now causing um, not more problems than we thought because it was always going to be an issue, but it's still a problem that's unsolved. There's been this like... Fischl getting a bit of time, but not getting 90 minutes. Lauren James then moving into the nine. Frank Kirby playing in in the nine as well. Like, Mark, from your point of view, how would you solve this problem that's come up? And do you think Emma's gone about it the right way? Yeah, Sam Kerr is, um, for me, over the last 10, 11, 12 years of watching so much at the top level, whether it's club or instance, Sam Kerr, in my subjective opinion, is the best at offering all the most important threats of a number nine. Faced her in the NWSL eight, eight years. And if she comes feet and you're too tight, she's on the shoulder. If you drop off, she drops in and either turns or sets and goes again. She scores with both feet. She scores with her head. She presses. So this is the other part. The work she does off the ball is, and, and that hasn't been as aggressive in the last 12 months, I'd say. But she has all these top qualities as a number nine. 
Um, and then she works as hard as anyone else. Like Cuthbert in the midfield, how many tackles? I mean, she would have tackled the stewards at Stanford Bridge on Sunday against Man United. But Sam does that from the front. That's a big, massive blow. So, yeah, how do you make up for the goals and, and the assists and also the defensive work? That's a big challenge. And, yeah, I'm not getting paid to try and solve that. Someone else is, <laughs> and I'm grateful. It's, 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 a, it's a big challenge. What well, I'd say Sam's biggest quality, and we won't see this till the end of the season, if we went and watched, if we clicked on Sam's last 50 goals, how many of those are game-winning goals mm. and in big games in front of big crowds? I've always felt that about her. There's lots of players out there of quality. To do it in the biggest and most difficult moments is her. She almost thrives. Like that goal against England in the World Cup, after the, the injury and the tournament she's had, I've got no... Um, I've no connection to Sam Kerr, no connection to Australia. And they're playing England. I'm cheering for England. And I'm my eyes are watering because the stadium, it's in Australia. I was like, I was watching a Disney movie or whatever. It's like, wow, this is football. That's why I love football. This player's come back and given us all that moment. Reminds me of what Drogba used to do for Chelsea in, in cup finals. It was a cup final drop. You knew he was going to score. Sam Kerr brings you that. Who else is going to do that at the crunch part of the season? Well, we've seen last night the rumour of... Um, of a striker coming in who is a top, top player. So, yeah, that could help. Um, yeah, I dodged your question. And yeah, focused, I was going to say, I hear what you're Sam. saying. I hear what you're saying, Mark, and my question remains. Do you think Mia Official is the answer? Who do you think? I mean, is it going to be Ramirez? I think when Mia Official was brought in, I'm not, it's, yeah, my opinion, I've watched Mia since she was 16, 17, 18 in, in the US. She was brought in with a role to support Sam and, and compliment and come off the bench. Um, you got two choices. Do you put her in and play and commit to that? I'd say it's a bit early. If you look at um, how Emma has built a role for her, you, that wasn't the plan. Um, can she do it? Yeah, of course. She's a good player, but she's still young and she's just got to this league and she needs time. I'm interested in when Macario will be back. Um, it looks close. That I think there we talked, I heard, I listened to your episode last week Talked about Kirby, talked about Lauren James, talked about Mia Fischel. I think Macario's going to be um, a key, key piece to that front line and come back to someone who knows how to do it in the biggest moments. She's done that. And I've, I used to play Macario in pre-season when she's represent the U20, uh, US U23s. We'd play her at Portland. And we would, it was always the hardest game. We'd play other NWSL teams, but we'd play and hardest because she was playing. And no matter what we did, we'd keep her quiet for 89 minutes and then she'd bang a free kick in in the last. Or we would shut everything else down, free players, we'd stop them on the ball and then she would turn someone and, and unlock us. She's a special player, hopefully for Chelsea. And I agree in the Champions League because I think we're all rooting for for yeah, an English team, but Chelsea and Emma's last year to be able to have a really good run. Hopefully Macario can get back healthy and I think she can be a, she's a solution to this big challenge that they've got. Well, do you think, Jesse, the reason that they're really trying to get Ramirez and it looks she was there at Stamford Bridge last night, so it looks like my Ramirez is going to come in from Levante. Do you think it's just like Mark said, it's like because there isn't necessarily a guaranteed player that is going to deliver what Sam does, it's like if we give ourselves loads of options, because it depends how quickly Macario like, gets up to speed, then something's going to stick out of all of those options. Yeah, I think there is an element of bringing in Ramirez as it feels like a, a win now signing, but I think 
she's such a talented player and I think she's a player who will really suit the WSL as well like the way the physicality which I think we saw particularly at the World Cup is something that I think will, will serve her really well in England um, I think what's exciting about her is obviously she's a win now player but she's also an option and I think this does kind of come back to the Macario thing like that is a really incredibly talented player who's not played football for 18 months now at this point and Chelsea are going to have no interest in rushing her and having her pick up minutes if that's going to hinder her in any way. And I think clearly, I think we've seen, you know, we've we've almost had, it's a limited sample size, but we've seen Chelsea play three games without Sam. We've seen three different players, players the nine for various minutes. And I think with all of them, you can see that there are flaws there. What's interesting is, you know, no one is going to be Sam Kerr. So Ramirez isn't also a single answer. So I guess to that extent, yeah, maybe what you're saying is right in terms of having different options. But I think in some ways she she offers some of the similar things that, that Fischl does, but she's done it for longer and at a higher level. And I think that's something that Chelsea want to feel like they can rely on. And it's much more of a kind of like legacy piece as well for beyond when Emma leaves. You know, that's a player who hopefully will stick around and take them to the next level. Yeah, although kind of bonkers in that potentially Chelsea will end up with Ramirez, Fischl, Kerr, Kerr, Macario, and Kat, who Kat can obviously, and Ramirez can play elsewhere as well, and Kat can play elsewhere, but has sort of like historically said that she wants to end up in that striking role. Yeah, I think something key to add to Ramirez, when Sam unfortunately went down, actually, pro, if you said, what was the top two or three things Sam does or Emma wants from a number nine? I think the players we're talking about last week complement a player who does what Sam does. Ramirez actually will threaten him behind. Her hold-up play is superb. She's aggressive without the ball. Um, she can play with both feet. She's good in the air. Can she do it like Sam? Well, that's not going to happen. No one can. Have you got a similar profile? And getting a similar profile player to Sam Kerr is very difficult. And they're obviously going to have to spend a lot of money to do it. I, I actually thought I had a few ideas in my own head who's similar, if that's the way they wanted to go. Um, I just wrote her off because of the, the expense of it. And they've pulled it off. And hopefully they've pulled it off. And I think it's going to be massive. It's, a, it's the simplest, most logical profile fit. It means the rest of the team can stay, can be used to the type of player they've had. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Hopefully she can, she gets in, it gets done and, and she transitions quickly. I want to talk about another big transfer thing in the past week. Jesse Fleming said to be going to Portland Thorns. 250k for that, which is unreal business for Chelsea for a player that hasn't been playing a lot recently saw her at the start of the season and I feel like she's never quite established herself as the go-to option consistently and it always brings up this conversation because she is so highly regarded in North America Jesse Fleming so highly regarded obviously she's played some of her best football for Canada I think Canadians always looked at why it didn't quite work at Chelsea but I think anyone who watches the WSL and watches Fleming's performances can see she is an unbelievable athlete and I feel like you could say that from 
probably having <laughs> well, you were talking about her. me then I was going <laughs> to say well <laughs> no but you know what I mean like, I'm sure you when you crossed over I thought oh my god this girl does not stop running like she's fit as anything but it's like that extra level that is required at Chelsea just hasn't quite worked but we're seeing her now move to MWSL and I'm going to come to Mark on this in a minute because go, she's going to Portland Thorns but like Jilly seeing her make that um, step that she's likely going to make would you think she's probably going to thrive in that different environment? Yeah, I reckon so. I've always thought anyway with um, the American League, obviously even when I was playing, it's a lot more um, a lot more like as a fitter league. You know, it's a lot more as in a... That's why I never went out to America. But <laughs> it's a lot more of, of a running-based league. And I think that's what um, definitely suits Jessie Fleming. And it's a shame really because I think she's a, a, she's a good player. And if she stayed in the WSL, she probably would be available to a lot of the teams that are there. Um, but it's obviously sometimes, it, I mean, obviously I think you tweeted this week, like sometimes the fit just doesn't work and mm. players just don't suit. And it's, it's nothing against the player or the club. It's just sometimes those moves don't work out. But yeah, I mean, playing against her, she was just constant, even coming to the latter stage of the game. Extra time, she's just one of those. She's just got a, a she's a great athlete. She's got an engine. Um, but I think she suits being a player as well where, She's like the star in the team. I think if you see her when she plays for Canada, obviously, like she's with the captaincy, she she thrives off of that, like always on the ball, always wanting it. Um, so I think that'll be something that she'll definitely suit in America. Mark, you were at Portland for five years? Six years. Six years, wow. So you know the club very well. Do you think she'll fit into that environment and fit into that league? Yes, I do. I think she'll fit in almost any environment. It's refreshing just hearing that. When this normally happens, we blame the player hasn't performed. We blame the club of not making it work. Uh, Chelsea's of options in the midfield, um, and and especially right now, Luke Holtz and Cuthbert, and that's beginning of 24, look unbelievable together. And then all the options at 10, it's hard for Jesse Fleming. So I think it's great business from Chelsea. It's a lot of money to be able to bring in. Um, helps with, with maybe another move they'll make now. Portland... Um, it's interesting. So it's a massive signing. A few people text me when it came out. Um, it's a big signing. And actually, in the last two years, they have not brought in anyone who has been able to make a significant impact. And so they tick that box. Um, I think in the back line in Portland and in the front line, they're going to need some help. Midfield is the, the area that have the most depth. Jesse will walk in and absolute has to be on the pitch for them. Yeah, in the NWSL, the, the closest example, you know, loads of opinions talk about different types of leagues. The second half of Chelsea Man United felt like NWSL. And what I meant, mean by that is no team really got settled in their defending or attacking because Chelsea came out, uh, sorry, Man United came out. They've obviously heard it at half time. That was the worst first half they've probably had all year. And their energy and their intensity, tactically the same, but their energy was was so much better. And Chelsea had to f deal with that and try and put the foot on the ball and slow it down. It was just end to end. Uh, Toon's gone through one on one. Next minute, Chelsea are through and should have scored. It felt um, it felt like the end of result. The speed had been turned up. Everyone's sprinting and running more than they are thinking and and making calm decisions. Yeah, Jesse Fleming. You, when when that happens, space is on the pitch. When there's lots of transitions, there's more space. 
Um, I love Jessie Fleming. I said it just before this show. I think um, off the ball, she's great, but on the ball, someone that Chelsea have this in abundance, so it makes sense. Portland to get someone who can control, dictate tempo, slow the game down, speed it up when the the, the lines are there and you can split lines. Um, it's going to be yeah, good to see her go to Portland and yeah, Canada FC is becoming over there right now. <laughs> and yeah, Canadians can get get a short trip down from Vancouver to uh, to support great business by Chelsea makes sense for everyone and good luck what do you think is the biggest difference from a coaching point because we talked about it with with Carly Telford actually last night at the live show and she was talking a lot about the transition element and she made a, a funny comparison about how people like players and clubs in the end of a cell like there's just no that the, the belief is always there that you're going to win so they will happily just go out all out attack because they don't really think that they're going to concede goals, even if they've lost 5-0 to a team the week before. Would you concur with that? But obviously from a coaching standpoint, you're the one who's having to put together the plans. So do you think there is always that kind of, it's, there's a hectic energy about it. And that's why fans love it. It's why we love it because it's, it's chaotic. But would you agree with that? Yeah, I'll try and, try and give some thoughts that probably impact... Um, the intensity and the energy. If you touched on like the the American players um, from the age of four or five, it's been a hundred miles per hour. And in college, well, this is a strange way to go about it. But from five years old, they've been going to tryouts. They've been going to club trials and trying to make a team. Then they're at college and they're trying to get into a college. And then they're going professional. You're always having to prove yourself, which means it has to be about right now. You have to deliver. You have to work. And um, yeah, the mentality and the running, the intensity is a massive, massive strength. Um, what doesn't get talked about is the tactical and the technical development that has happened. Has it happened as much as of other countries? Uh, no, I'd say you see Spanish players and the quality coming through. And uh, even in a tough situation, they've just picked up a World Cup. And in England, while there's always been great tactical and technical work, now the physical side and the, the fitness side has improved. Um, easiest, simplest way is when you play, I, 12 years ago, I played FIFA. I wish I could play it more now. You don't play it anymore, Mark. No. I haven't played in <laughs> 12 years. There's one other game that pull, almost pulled me back in. But if you go on the settings and turn up the speed, you know, and you normally you mm. set up and it's normal speed and you turn it up, that that's what the NWSL is. And, you know, you see some very tactical coaches there now, and I've just competed against them. You're trying to apply tactics and make decisions under less time than you've ever had as a player or, as, or even as a coach and you've yeah you you have to run you have to fight and you then you have to be so perfect and clean on the ball at Portland Thorns we played Lyon um, in 21 and they went full strength against us we played the youngsters in the first half I had Olivia Moultrie who was 15 at the time playing in the midfield and actually I'd met Dama, Damares in the morning who was trying to bring to the Netherlands because I was in between the roles and I got I had ten minutes to recruit Dama, and and actually for nine minutes I decided to listen to her about who she is and the type of person she was, and gave a couple of opinions of what I felt. But then on the football side, she said, "So tell me about football." And I looked and said, "Well, you'll see tonight." I said, "In the first half, you guys might have a chance, and in the second half against us, you have no chance." And she laughed. She said, "Impossible. <laughs> we will kill you." I said, "Okay." The <laughs> next day, the agent called and said she's coming to the Netherlands. The first half with the youngsters, Leon were creating chances and so were we. Wendy Renard needed a neck brace. She didn't know where Sophia Smith or Morgan Weaver or whoever else was going to come from. We pre And Enla, we pressed them every second there on the pitch. 
they probably should have scored a couple in the first half and we got lucky. But then we brought on um, other senior players in the second half and they couldn't touch us. And we ended up grabbing a goal near the end. My point is how the, the speed that you have to play at in that league is very high. It does lead to chaos. It does lead to technically not being perfect and tactically gaps opening. But when you have a top team in the US who are tactical as well, it's it's tough. Flip it round. Chelsea, for me, are physically the closest. Arsenal as well, actually. Physically the closest. Tactically and technically really, really top, top, top teams. They are physically the closest to the top teams in the NWSL. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm loving watching WSL games. Um, speed of the game and do or die mentality. But that's also hurt the US. And you look at the last two or three years, tactical, technical development, and national team, it's not been great. Emma, I think, is a perfect person to go and yeah, bring the tactical, but she's a winner. She's a killer. She's there to make sure every game is important. Yeah, it's a big, um, big period of time for the national team there. You mentioned something there, the being in between roles, because you were between roles from the Thorns to Netherlands. Emma Hayes is in that position now between Chelsea and the US. So what is it like? Is it would if you could go back, <laughs> would you do it the same again? Taking over the Netherlands was a job that you we had to be absolutely perfect to stand a chance because you're taking over from Serena and a lot of success. Um it almost was the opposite, a huge amount of problems. And the first one was this, this this role of trying to do both was a big challenge. But that's in the context of where I was and where the Netherlands was and the competition. We had qualifiers. I was leaving Portland and going over in the international window and coaching the Netherlands in September, October, November. Big challenges to do that. Um, Emma has faced so many different challenges and she smashed through all of them. The context of her situation is completely different to, to mine. And I think she's going to, she, her and the team of staff, Twyla, who's an assistant who, who's been over here and she's doing a great job. Um, they'll be managing it. There's no doubt. The, the key for Emma is she's got to make sure the Chelsea players feel every day. She cares a hundred percent and she's there present a hundred percent, which she'll do. Um, my situation, yeah, it was unbearable. I was I was up at 4 a.m. I was having meetings with the Netherlands staff till 7 a.m., going to Portland, 7.30 a.m. till 4 or 5, going back home, coffee for the seventh time, and then I was on the laptop to watch Netherlands stuff until 10 p.m. and waking up in four or five hours' time. I have done that for three or four months. It was oh really God. brutal. Sounds yeah. horrible. Actually, when I got back from Portland, which was, that was our best year, it was an incredible year, and I had a few weeks of the family before going to the Netherlands full time. Yeah, it was the first time in my career, actually, where I looked at my wife and, and daughter. And I thought, you know, if us three, all of us just went and disappeared for a few months and didn't have to see any football, I would be all right. Because it was tough. There's a context of my situation. I don't think that that's the same. And um, I also think it's it's already, I can see through a little bit in the media, it's just set up to have more success. Our situation was hard and hard for me, hard for the staff, hard for the Dutch players, hard, hard for Portland players. Um, wasn't ideal. Go back, um, definitely do some things differently. But would you do it again? That's my question. <laughs> I've dodged a few already. Um <laughs> No, unfair to everyone involved. Would not do it again. Um, 
and you we got there in the yeah, end. We got there. <laughs> I think as a coach, your role is to help uh, whoever you're working with, people, players, staff, be successful. Um, I was in a position where that was very difficult to do that to what to the maximum level. So I think in the end, it was unfair for everyone, including me. Um, but yeah, live and learn, and um, also from me, ego and passion, and, and always backing myself. Um, yeah, too many challenges in the end, and the only people that suffered was, of course, players, staff, myself, and the team. You hire a coach to help a team be successful. We already put the team in a in a tough spot. I want to talk more about the next steps for Chelsea when it comes to a head coach, but we're going to just take a quick break. All right, last night as well at the live pod, we talked about Emma Hayes' potential successor, obviously with Carly Telford now working at the club. It was interesting, and I'm going to play some of our live pod because Carly shone some light on what really maybe happened with those senior players and their preference for a female head coach. When that news came out about how... Uh, senior players had shown a preference to having women in that coaching role. Do you think that's like quite a natural thing? Because with that sort of coach and that intensity, and especially what Chelsea have done around the menstrual cycle, around looking after women's bodies and that research and insight, like you are going to maybe build that more kind of safe trust that is so important if you do feel like you can relate a little bit more to your coach. Um, yeah, I like generally... I think what Emma has done and what she's leaving would be easier maybe for a woman to step into those shoes. I think whether that's fully true that the girls specifically asked for a woman is, I'd say, interesting <laughs> from what I know and what I've actually heard. Um, I think it it's more comes down to one who's available because I think it's, it's difficult at the minute. There's not that many managers mm -hmm. around that can maybe fill those boots. So it's what do you look for next? who can handle the personalities. Let's be honest. We have some of the biggest names and personalities in the game as well as in the squad. So you're handling a squad of players that how many managers have done that if probably only international managers. Um, so I think maybe with what Emma's built, it would be easier for a, a woman to step in and understand the menstrual cycle stuff and the way she's built things and the relationships and trust you build maybe with a female coach. But I don't think that can't be achieved with a male coach either. Um, so for me, I think it's interesting to know what the club is looking at and how that that does go down. I know the girls were involved in some of the discussions. Um, but I think maybe the, if we can get a woman we feel is good enough and can handle those sorts of pressures, then I think that would be the, the great thing. But I, I also think what wasn't probably said is that if it is a man, it's okay as well. Mm. Um so, yeah, I think that's probably where the club's at, is just trying to understand what that looks like in this demographic currently when we're mid-season um, and, what, and what's going on. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, yeah, Carly there sort of establishing that there wasn't actually necessarily that suggestion from the senior players um, and it maybe came from elsewhere. Lost in translation, these things happen. Um but perhaps it was a little bit unfair to suggest that. But it still remains that Icelandic head coach Elizabeth Gunnarsdottir looks like the favourite. But as we know, what happened with Emma Hayes and the USWNT job is that she wasn't one of the three leaked names and she came in quite quietly, went through the whole process and was named the coach. So 
anything can happen, but she's the name that everyone's talking about. Casey Stoney, new contract. Laura Harvey staying in Seattle. So with that um, kind of in the front of your mind, Mark, I want to talk about what it is like uh, being a male coach in this space because obviously, you know, it actually probably turns out that the players didn't necessarily say that preference and actually, you know, they're open to whoever is going to be the best coach for the job. And we spoke to Carly about, you know, like if you do have a woman as your head coach, are they going to get you better? Are they going to understand? Is it easy to build that trust? But what is it like for you as a as a, a man in this space? And like, do you look to build that bigger network around you? Yeah, I mean, you keep holding me to actually answering your question. I will, but I've got to step back. I think it's... it's what's the profile of the coach that you want? Um, And I'll come back to that and say, I think that's the most important. Who's making that call at Chelsea? Um, Are they going to stick to a similar profile to Emma? And what's the top? She has lots of strengths, but what's the top two or three? And if it's the same profile, then you've got to hire someone who has the same top two or three strengths. Um, Yeah, it's uh, female coaches female journalists, female analysts, which we've seen a lot, you know, we're seeing female analysts getting attacked right now. Female coaches have always had a much, in the last, I've been 10, 15 years around the professional game, always have had it harder, don't have as many opportunities. Um, I've seen a lot of quality um, not being given opportunity or get opportunity and it works or doesn't work, and don't get it again. So uh, actually, you know what, Emma, I think Emma's done a very important job opening doors for female coaches, fighting for female coaches. If, if the club's preference is they would like to to find a top can, a top female candidate, then that's the prerogative. Um, and I think they've earned the right to be able to choose, choose who they want to hire. If I step back to my point and ask you guys, what's the top two or three things that Emma has done and who's been one of the most successful that you feel they have to have in their next coach? Everyone is different. It's going to be different. Change is hard. But what's the one or two things? You look at their squad, the makeup of their squad, the the expectations of winning. What's those top two qualities? For me, Emma's greatest asset, I think, is always talent development. Um, I think her ability to turn rough diamonds into gems is you know very well known and I think when you look at the profile of players Chelsea have moved towards in the market I think that's something that will be really crucial to turn to keep the squad um, moving over and I think and this is I said this last night I think this is the thing that stood out for me in the names that were associated with the job is and I guess this goes a little bit with that talent development is um, coaches who are prepared and ready to build over a number of years. And I think Stoney, Harvey, Gunnarsdottir have all shown at different points in different roles that that's something that they're willing and able to do. I think Stoney and Harvey are in a different league. Of course, of course. But that's still someone who spent yeah. 10 years yeah. at, arguably, Gunnarsdottir's done it the most significantly. When you look at... Christian stats budget and where they got to, but yes, in a lower profile job. Julie, you've actually worked under Fight Emma for my English coaches. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, you've actually worked with Emma. So, what would you say was the biggest her biggest two things? Um, I think with Emma, I think it's 
um, similar to BD in the sense of getting to know the players, you know, and putting players before, uh, putting the person before the player. I think, Emma, if you went into her office and you was upset about something or you felt, this, especially like international players as well, homesick or anything, she puts the person first. Um, and I think that's one of the key things. I think she's approachable. Um, and I think you can see she genuinely cares about her players. But I also think for her, she's managed big personalities, you know. And I remember when Sam Kerr signed, and um, I think I was at West Ham at the time, and I remember a few of us were chatting and we was like, how is she going to manage? Mm. Obviously, you had Beth England at the time. Frank Kirby is a big personality who was the nine at the time. How are you going to manage Sam Kerr wanting to come in? She's going to want to be the number one. How do you fit all these players in? And I think that's been one of the main things from Emma is the ro- it helps that they're in everything um, so they can afford to have the rotation. But you never really see a player unhappy. And if they are unhappy, i.e. Beth England, then they get to move. She don't keep them there. Um but I do think even that, with the size of the squad they've got, she manages to keep everyone happy. And I think that's one of the the main things too. I would say definitely the man management. I think she's one of the best in the game because she's always been very smart with when she needs to move a player on and how she does it. And it's, it's cutthroat sometimes. But if you think about the fact that, you know, Carly's spoken a lot recently, spoke about last night, spoke about it on the FWAs, about how she was cut and re-signed. And she was cut in quite a brutal way. You were cut too, Jilly. Hate to like, you know, hate to say it, but but you know what I mean. And, but you got it, Ramona Backman the year after me. Yeah, but Do you know what I mean, big players. And even I was thinking about Ji So Yun, who obviously she's just gone and signed yeah. for Seattle, and I don't know how much of that was Chelsea and how much was her wanted to go on. But again, a player who I think was moved moved on at the right time Magda, when you had someone like Pernilla. LJ coming yeah. through. And my but my thing back to you, Jilly, is that with yourself and Carly, I know this for sure, can't say the same for the others, but like you still respect Emma. Yeah. You still have a great relationship with her and it is hard to manage that. Can you imagine if just Jilly just leaned in and went, I fucking hate her. You said, no, you're wrong actually. Turn, the, turn it her. off a minute. Um, <laughs> but that's hard to do because you're, you're, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on players and their careers and so to do that in the right way and manage a situation is very difficult and I think that for me is probably the one of the biggest strengths she's had. But, Gonna give Mark more time to think about <laughs> as a man in this space. I want to talk about how you build that support system around you that you might need in those situations. But I'm gonna give you a minute. Yeah, I'm gonna add to that. From a distance, I'd say Emma has has the outcome of the way she's made decisions looks like she rewards players for for what they're doing right now. So in training or, or performance in games, um, she creates an environment where you get what you deserve. And we've had a brief chat about this before. I'm getting an assist from you a little bit. <laughs> that if you're not performing, then you're not going to play with Emma. And I th- it looks like that standard has been across the whole squad. And actually, when you get that balance right, and you know, I felt one team did that well in the NWSL last year, actually. They, they ended up rotating a little bit and we were trying to figure out why are they rotating. And the end result is I felt that the players that were performing were being rewarded for performing. Emma's done that. My point a little bit was listening just to us four, the two, three, four top qualities. The decision maker at Chelsea has to say which one or two of those or three of those or all of them are most important that we can't not have. And for me, you've got to get a coach in that's going to do those things. And managing people, being uh, managing people to the same standard, but also taking care of people of course, developing talent, developing the team, uh, like you said. Um, back to your question. 
listen, if I was the best tactician, but I wasn't great with people or I was great with people and I wasn't the, the best tactician, or actually it's about um, something we did really well in Washington. We actually had a few consultants that have been in around Chelsea and a few other club, uh, clubs and national teams focus on female health and how we can help the, f the female really understand their body and still perform at all times throughout the year. What do you? What qualities do you have? Strengths and weaknesses, and you—it's always been a part of leading. You've got to have staff that um, complement your strengths and also can take care of your weaknesses. Yeah, Emma, uh, when she got announced for the US, she got um, a few jokes when she talks about geese and different types of leaders. Yeah, it's the same for our staff, and and same how I've always tried to build a staff personality types. Yeah, it's always funny with staff. You always will have people that are unbelievably structured. Everything has to, um, the meetings, the time and what, how we do it. And if something goes off, they're, they're done for the day. They can't, then you have more flexible people and that are ready to fly with the wind. If you had a staff full of this or this, you're in trouble. You need a bit of everything in, um, yeah, for me as a coach, it always starts with people, the person, how do you, how, how can I help a team? How can I help a player perform in a team if I don't know the person? Um, also, uh, try to support them no matter what they're going through because it's about performance. And yeah, how do you get other people? And for me, I, if there's stress or there's, um, when things get really hard, I'm always going to say, how are our, uh, the, how is the person in, in the player? How is the, the people in the team doing? I need always someone with me who's saying, yes, we do care, but also we got to perform. We have to make sure we win. I lean more on how do we help people because medium, long-term, people are happy, people have purpose, people have value. They're going to work. They're going to do more, more focused, deliberate work. Um, to answer your question, if you don't have a skill set yourself, you've got to have that on your staff. And um, personality types, whether it's male or female, actually zooming in, I've always tried to have subconsciously, I've landed on 50-50 of male and female staff in my technical group. Um, the, own, the, the time I actually had a 90-10 was in the Netherlands. It was the first time. I only had one female on the technical staff, which is very new to me. And, it, it, and I don't think that was a positive because I think you do need to have different perspectives and different understandings. In Portland, where I, where I was able to build it myself, in Washington, we were getting there. Uh, fell short actually in bringing someone in. Always been around 50-50. Why? Because I want to win, I want to succeed and I want to be able to have someone on staff that every player can connect to. Um, Emma does it all. So that's that's what the tough thing about this hire is. My perception from Emma is anyway, in talking briefly with you, she does everything. But I think that's interesting because she does, but she also has, especially compared to other teams in the WSL and you've seen Arsenal actually move out to do more of this that she has a very big star, yeah. you know. I think at one point she had five different UEFA A licence holders on her staff, you know, when she had play people like Tanya Oxterby. Never Oxtaby. been those talent hoarding allegations, <laughs> yeah. are they? But, you know, yeah, someone like Tanya Oxterby, who was AWSL manager, who's gone to take an international job. And, you know, she she was using her and Paul Green does this role sometimes up on the gantry to like have that view. And that that's like a level of quality as well that obviously Chelsea have been able to bring in and been able to attract. And that's also, you know, Hayes as well. Like lots of people talk about obviously how, um, what, a, what a persuasive person, I guess she is in terms of working with. And, but I think that's really interesting as well, because I actually think she's obviously a workaholic, you know, and she does do it a lot. 
I think she's very good at complementing herself with the the people she has around her as well. And that's what will be interesting as well, to, I think, to see what changes with that. Because, you know, we talk a lot about Hayes, but what other personalities behind the scenes that don't get talked about might also stay or go related to that. And how does the new manager coming in affect that? Jilly, quickly, you've, like, I would say, making an assumption here. I'm not going for the job. No, no, <laughs> no, no. My assumption is the two biggest coaches you've had in your career and influence would be Matt Beard and Emma Hayes. Am I right in making that assumption? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Any differences between the two or like what the difference between having Matt Beard, male coach, compared to Emma, female coach? Or oh, do you think there is any? No, I was trying to think then, really, when we were talking about it, as in what's been my, in regards to managers, how have I gone more, have I had more men in, as a manager, have I had more women? Um, but obviously I had Laura Harvey, Shelley Kerr and Emma Hayes. Um, I'd say Laura Harvey and Emma Hayes are very similar in how they are in regards to with players. Um, Shelley Kerr is probably the complete opposite. And then uh, with the men, obviously, I've had uh, Ollie Harder, who complete opposite to Matt Beard. Um, Vic Akers as well is very old school. Um, love Vic. But yeah, I think with Beardy and with Emma, it's more about getting value from that player. And, you know, and that's a personality trait rather than yeah, nothing about gender. It, it's huge. I think that's what I mean. For me, it's there could be a thing of, oh, you could have had a voice of an opinion from the players in the sense of obviously that opinion or that talk should never have gone outside them four walls in the first place. But I know when Beardy left um, West Ham, obviously I was speaking to general manager and suggesting different managers that potentially could come in who I felt who I'd played for or I'd been in around and heard good things around them. And I do think, yeah, there's a good, place for a player to potentially go listen I've heard really good things because women footballers talk yeah they they talk about everything but they talk about managers you you find out when a manager moves to another club there'll be players from that that club with that players that manager's left and they'll go oh they're this or they're that or they're really good at this they're not really good at that and that's just standard so there could be suggestions I do think it'll be hard for any manager to follow in Emma's footsteps because of what she's done there but for me, I don't think it matters whether it's a man or a woman. It's having the right person. And I think it is that feeling valued. When I, when a player feels valued, you're going to get so much more from them yeah. um, than a player is not. 100%. Um, Mark, I want to hit you with some quick questions. Um, and I'm going to be straightforward because we've had a couple of questions on this. Mark Skinner is under pressure at Manchester United. Would you stick your name in the hat for that job? Yeah, I've got an interesting decision to make next because the last couple of years, I had a lot of stability over a um, 10-year period, Washington and then Portland, a lot of great players and staff and we had a lot of success. Netherlands and, and, and Washington just now is very unlike me to be in and out of places. So for me, what's the, the next place? Yeah, I think it could be England. Um, I would hope it's in England because my family. Also, I'll always have a connection to the US. Um, but I've got to find a place that is looking for the profile of who I am and how I lead and coach. But also I've got to look for a place that is going to, in, that I believe will value that. We're talking about player value, that value the type of coach. And yeah, for me, I've always been in uh, pulled into projects. I took over Washington when they were rock bottom and we made playoffs for two years in a row. And they went to a championship the year after I left. Um, went from you know, zero to the top. Portland finished fourth and sixth. Then we had 
finished first and second for the next six years and won every trophy. A team that is underperforming, that needs work, that needs um, uh, a culture and a clear identity put in. That's the project that I'm looking at. So where is that in the England and the US? Well, I'm trying to figure that out. And I'm in no, uh, fortunately, in no time pressure. Um, I was away from my family for the last couple of years. It's been hard for me and the family. So I'm I'm having the best time being taxi driver and doing the school runs with my 10-year-old daughter and taking her to games. I'm also enjoying doing this. I'm enjoying watching football and actually analysing, taking a breath and seeing um, top-level men's and women's football for the first... COVID was the last time I could do it. Do you, would you say you're more in, like, dad mode than seeking a job mode? Not uh, saying that um, you're skiving, no, but no. just dad, asking the question. I'm in dad mode and, like I did during the COVID period when we all got shut down, um, recharging and, and making sure that I'm at the absolute best to be able to, to help a certain environment. There's a, few, there's a few clubs in England that need to step up. So you're trying to zoom me into one situation. And the there man few, is available. There, there's a few clubs and it's the same. The US is about to start. Um, there's a few, few clubs that have to perform this year. They didn't perform last year, for example. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I hope all those, and I mean this because I've been there, and I hope all those coaches turn it around and, and absolutely get staff and players going in the right direction, um, make it a bit harder for me to be able to get to do what I love, which is coaching and be on the pitch every day. But I have to make the uh, make a disciplined decision next. I can't just jump in and, um, yeah, let's see, see where that will be. We talked about, as well, another quick one I'll ask you, we had a question on this. We talked about that Netherlands-Thorns crossover and, you know, things that you maybe would have done differently. But the context as well of Emma Hayes moving into international manage management, what do you think the biggest difference is going club to international? And mm -hmm. has that put you off? No, uh, I actually, I missed something. I, w when I answered your question, it was more setting everyone up to succeed mm, from that mm. perspective, rather than for me, the benefit of taking that role. The people, the staff, I'm talking, still talking to staff and players from the Netherlands we're weekly, um, great connection relationships on the men's side of the of the KMVB as well, the directors of the KMVB, there's a lot of great people. So I'm grateful for that experience. I just felt like the runway was very yeah, the hard. Yeah, the timeline was difficult. And I remember in my in a call we had, in the, one of the first call, I said, I'm, there's no way I'm leaving Portland and there's no way I'm doing both. They got me to change one of those. <laughs> and I wish, that was my regret, I wish I stuck true to that. I can't do both. It's not fair. It's but not do, what do you think team. those differences are on the international side? Yeah, um time, uh, time you have with players to influence them as people, to influence them as a team, to organise them. I really like what Andres has done with the Netherlands. Um, the profile, come back to it, kind of simplifying the profile of person I think they needed to help them, that they've got that. Arvid, who's assistant, does a fantastic job on the football side, like Arian does with Serena. Andres is, is no nonsense. It's black and white. And you get on the boat or get off the boat and they've got, for that group, my experience told me that, that what they need is in the leader. They've got that. Um, and Andrew's so, yeah, so experienced. He can, he can grab a group of people very fast and get them to do what he needs them to do. And I think national, national team, less time. Keep it simple. Put the players in their best position, in their best quality and make sure everyone is all in. So as I say that out loud, I think that 
Emma going to national team football, yeah, she the quality, she's going to be great at that. And would, would you do national team job again? Yeah, absolutely. I actually feel, I used to say national team might be more suited because I'm very intense, very passionate. I love player development. I love pushing and challenging players. Uh, Olivia Moultrie in Portland, Ellie Carpenter in Portland, Sophia Smith, um, whether it's Tobin Heath or Christine Sinclair. I'm relentless in what's next for you. And, and yeah, yeah. I'd say Jilly have probably had coaches or players like this. That's not for some players. I don't want to continue to push forward. At Tobin, when I was in Portland, um, she was inconsistent in scoring and um, and she wanted to improve that. She was always, she was the best player on the pitch. She could do anything she wanted with the ball, but the outcome, and Jill Ellis worked on that with her or demanded that a lot of the national team. There was a year, 18 months with Tobin where she was scoring every game and actually in 18 we had a lot of injuries and she was scoring big goals and in that situation I had a small role to play but it absolutely was an objective of how do we help this 30, 31 year top world class player become even better I'm passionate about that club you're there every day pushing people it can yeah it can it can uh, grind the national team you pop in you can push people they get a break from you and I love that in the Netherlands going to watch club games to watch players in their own environment still trying to help them from a background uh, yeah I would absolutely do national team not right now no um, I'm too much uh, I'm loving being a taxi driver I've got to get back on the pitch at some point and Washington actually in 23 was I was back home I was really back home being on the pitch all the time and um, that's what I, I think I'm best suited to help someone is to be back on the pitch every day. And let's see, national team in the future, 100%. Well, we will keep a keen eye on any of those vacancies and uh, see if you're the man for the job, Mark. I'm sure we'll see you pop up very soon. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope it's been all right. It hasn't been too tense yeah actually you've you kept you cool I haven't seen you sweating too much <laughs> yeah I'd take it back you two were quite soft <laughs> it was actually me right, grilling me grilling you come right on you can't get these flows in charge you can't get these people yeah, on not get, yeah. you can't Come on, I'm a hard taskmaster. That's why I actually feel like national team management would suit me because just keep it simple. <laughs> Something you play people in the right positions. Play Lauren James with right wing back. No, I'm joking. Some, something that actually wish happened in press conferences more. You know, when we ask you guys, ask a coach, or let's say we'd ask a coach something and they give you a nothing answer, a short nothing answer. Normally, we go and we move on. Ask the same question again. Yeah. Ask it a different way because you just did that to me 17 exactly. times. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. And put, put people under a bit more pressure. And to be honest, it's the same actually. If you want to know about a person, a player, or a coach, so I'm trying to bring in a staff member, ask the same question twice, three yeah. times. You actually get there in the you end. You did that with end. me. So I appreciate Julie that. knows just bully her into giving me answers. Yeah, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah, you do. You can watch the whole time and be like, whew, I'm under pressure. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Jilly. Good to have you back. It's been so long. Oh, no, I missed you. We missed you. Uh, Jesse, you're always here, but good, good <laughs> no, to have you. As it's like I see you too much. If anything. It's been a big week uh, in Count Pretz HQ, obviously with Monday show, live pod today. Um, thank you again to our host, Chelsea and Pepsi Max for the live pods. We'll be back on Monday reflecting on a big weekend in the WSL. So we will see you then. 